All right, welcome back to the Conversation with Christians podcast. I'm Luke Calvert, joined by Mitch Green today, and we are talking about another foundational piece of our faith, and that is God. Today we're going to talk about and dive into the whole of Scripture, starting in Genesis and finishing in the future glory that we will have in God. Who is God? What is He doing over redemptive time? And intrinsically, who is our God? Who do we follow uh, and who do we worship? So, God, uh, Mitch, not God. Uh, <laughs> You're a god. We got me. God no, on the line here, man. Uh, so, Mitch, yeah, start us off where we want to go when talking about who is God. Yeah, so, again, we are in the middle of this foundation series. We're in week three. Some of you guys are going through this with us. Some of you guys are doing this on your own. Um, we see the podcast as supplemental. So this is like an hour of content of us talking through the different things we would talk about in our study or just a totally different angle on me and Luke talking about it. Mm -hmm. So in this case, um, what we're going to do really builds off of our last lesson. So if you didn't listen to the Bible podcast, go back and listen to that first, because as we talk about God, one of the things that we're saying here that we're doing is we're deriving our truths about God from the Bible. Mm -hmm. And secondly, in doing this, we are trying to practice proper hermeneutics. Now, we're going to be jumping all across the Bible today, and the reason for this is because I really believe that there is um, one narrative across the entirety of Scripture that helps tell us who God is. And there's little, what I would say is like, if you remember those like scatter plot graphs, do you remember those? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, I, there's like, if we were to just scatter plot all these spots across scripture, we would find many of them, many different threads that paint and help us understand who God really is. So what we're really actually doing today is Luke sitting in front of me and I've kind of just taken my version of that scatter plot and said, here are some scriptures that help us understand who the God of the Bible is. Mm -hmm. And we could do this literally times, I mean, all of like times 10,000. Every one of these truths is found throughout every book of the Bible. And we could pull one of those truths out and use that as an example. So here is just one attempt for us to say, okay, what does the Bible tell us about who God is? So honestly, Luke's not really even looked at this scripture. Um, I've just given him the passages and I'm saying, all right, let's look at these together, and who do these tell us about God? And we'll pull out themes from the video in doing this, but really what we want to show you today is that the Bible gives a very clear picture about who God is and how he relates mm -hmm. to us. So we're going to jump in at the very, very beginning. Mm -hmm. So from the very, very top of our discussion and the very, very top of the Bible, we're going to look at Genesis 1-1, and we're just going to raise the question, what does this tell us about God? So, mm -hmm. Luke, you want to take a shot at reading it? Yeah, so Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without, vo without form or void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. All right, so what do we, what do we learn from the very beginning of the Bible about God? Yeah, I, this is uh, the uh, Catechism 101 that I, I, I like to look through every once in a while is uh, who is God? And God is intrinsically creator. Uh, he is creator and um, he, the, one of the questions in the Catechism I was alluding to was um, what is man's chief end? Because the man's chief end tells us about God uh, and that's to know God and glorify him forever. Mm -hmm. And so how do we do that? We do that as created people by the creator. And so um, in the beginning, the very beginning of the scripture, um, the writer of Genesis, many say is Moses, Moses is writing and appealing to the creator God uh, for the beginning of all scripture. And so I think it's very important that we see God as creator, as uh, um, our God who is over the entire world. 
Yeah, if we could take you to a world where you were, you have never seen the Bible before, which we know, again, in our American context, you probably had some sort of exposure to the Bible. Mm-hmm. But say you had never seen the Bible before, and somebody placed this book before you, and they said, you know, this is a narrative about who the God of the Bible is, um, about Jesus. This is the story of Jesus. And the first thing you're going to read is that in the beginning, God created. Mm. And so as Luke said, you know, the first thing that we establish in our discussion about God is that God is the creator of all things. Um, God is the creator of us. God is the creator of everything. Um, And that's important for us to know um, that things didn't just exist and God came in, but God, God in fact created all these things. And the passage continues as we look down and, you know, in verse 26, um, we start to talk about what is God being the creator mean Mm. for us. And so verse 26 of Genesis one says this, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds and the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Mm -hmm. So God created man in his own image. So again, God's not only just described as the creator of earth, he's described as the creator of us here. And then it says in his image, God created him male and female. He created them. Mm. So from the very, very beginning of Scripture, God is established as creator. And and I'm going to need you just to trust me in this one because I'm not going to walk through it today. But every single book of the Bible, um, there are different titles given to God. One of them that is ascribed to God across every single book of the Bible is creator. Mm. Um, when God is referenced, he is referenced as the creator. And so this is you know part of why we begin to turn into trust in God is because we establish that, you know, who who knows best? Well, the creator, mm-hmm. <laughs> the creator of all yeah. things. And the fun thing about uh, kind of a just a blip here, the fun thing about Genesis chapter one is I believe it starts off with a Trinitarian mindset. Uh, and this is kind of fun, um, is that uh, we see in Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, uh, the earth with without, without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And now we're introduced to the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the water. Uh, and then in the very, verse 3 we said, And God said, Let there be light. And we understand Jesus Christ and almost all of the scriptures, scriptures as one of two things, the Word of God and the light. Uh, so the Word of God is the very communication of God, which you may have heard us talk about this on the podcast before. So I would argue that we have Father Son and Spirit, all in the first three verses yeah. of Genesis. Yeah, and then the reference to our at least implies when God says, let us make man in our image, that there is some governing body that he's making this decision That's with. Right. It doesn't imply just himself. It may not be a clear reference to the Trinity, and I'm not going to get in the deep deep dive of the theology of that, but there is this notion there that God is making mankind in the image. So from the very, very beginning, there's this establishment of God as creator, but also this reference to the triune nature that we know again from John 1, 1, mm-hmm. you know, the Bible, again, we take the Bible as truth. John 1, 1 establishes that Jesus was the word and Jesus was with God in the beginning. That's right. And that even, ha- and, and that's, that's amazing how the scriptures work is that John 1, 1, once again, it, it works as that laser beam back to Genesis 1. So I can, it actually really helps me interpret Genesis chapter 1 because I know John chapter 1. Does that, if, does that make sense? Like, because I know the Scripture and the whole of Scripture, I can go back and reverse, just like we were talking about this earlier with the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, we turn around and head that all the way back through Scripture, and it helps us theologically align all of the Scriptures back to uh, its main purpose and goal. 
Yeah. So I want to continue on from here. Again, as we look throughout the Bible, we continue to see this theme established of who God is and how he relates to the people of Israel. And so before we do that, I want to give a little bit of background, though. So um, we anybody would tell you this, but if you look at the ancient Near East and you look at the nations around Israel of the day, and still today, if you look at most Middle Eastern religions and really most world religions other than, you know, um, the Abrahamic faiths, mm-hmm. Most religions claim to have many gods. Um, they claim to be polytheistic is the word. And so they have many different gods. They have, And some of them have a god for everything. Um, the sun, the moon, the stars. Yeah, any aspect of life, there's, there is a god for it. Um, but what makes the Christian faith unique and the Abrahamic faith unique is that they've established this nature of the one mm. true god. God. Mm. So, so why this is important before I even look at this passage, because as we saw, you know, Judaism develop and we saw Christianity start to begin to spread across the ancient world, um, the way that we understand conversion, they had a difficulty they were up against because what, what people thought that they could do, you know, people, whether it be in Rome or, or nations surrounding Israel, they thought that they could just lump the God of the Old Testament in this list with all their other gods mm-hmm. and that he could just have his place there. But see, what's very clear throughout the Old Testament as God's giving his instruction to his people is that he is the one true God. Mm-hmm. And these other gods, they have no place of standing with him. I mean, they, they, they're they not even to be in the conversation and he doesn't even want to be worshiped like those gods. So even the way you pay homage to them, the way that, you know, idolatry, as you've heard, he's like, I don't want anything like that. Do not you know, make the way that you worship me resemble anything like them. And so God is very clear that he desires their total worship solely for him. And so we see in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4, this is beginning of a prayer. Uh, This prayer is called the Shema. And this is a prayer that a Jewish person will pray every single day. Um, And they pray this prayer to remind themselves about the character of God and how they're supposed to instruct it to their children. Mm -hmm. So from Deuteronomy 6, again, think of this in the background of your mind. This is something that's repeated every day. When you read passages across the Old Testament and it's like they woke up and prayed at noon and they prayed three times a day, or you see all those things, what they're talking about is they're praying this in some measure. Mm -hmm. They might be praying other things, but they're always praying this. Right. Um, And so it says this, this is verse four, chapter six of Deuteronomy. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, basically every day, Mm -hmm. every moment of every day. You shall bind them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Mm. See, God is very, very clear. Again, this is a day, this is something they did daily. And they took this literally. I mean, you've seen people like strapping things around their wrist. You know, this is typically that prayer. You see you think people strapping you know, little Bible books to their head. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've ever looked that up, I've, I mean, you can look that up if you want. But this is something where, you know, their instruction that they're here by God is that there is one true God, mm. that you can't serve these many masters or there's many gods. And again, in our world today, one of the things that um, Christianity is up against is this idea that everybody can have their own right way. Mm-hmm. But really, if we look at the, the God of the Bible, he is very clear from the very beginning that he wants to be the sole object of our worship. That's right. 
um, no idols of anything of this earth, and any of these other gods that are referenced by anybody today or anybody in the ancient mm-hmm. world, he's the this one true it. God. And I think we, we learn a lot about God by learning about how God works. Uh, and so I want to talk about the history of Israel before we move on. So we know that God created Adam and Eve in the garden. And gar- the, the Garden of Eden was kind of known as this like temple garden where it was like that was the holy place of God, right? And God is creating man in perfect union with him. So God, that's how God created. God, when we go back to Genesis 1, he created in perfect union with his creation, And he gave them the land and said, be Lord of the land, be fruitful and multiply, okay? So when God is creating, he's creating a people who are going to reflect his glory all throughout the world. And as he does that, when sin is introduced to the world, he's basically going to copy and paste that same manner of he wants to create people, love people, he wants to extend them, and they are to reflect his glory. So the Noahic covenant, when, when Noah comes, he wants, to ref, he wants Noah to bring about a new family of God and, cre- and, and reflect his glory. When Abraham does it, when Moses does it, so the, they're all doing, God is do, using these people all to be kind of like Ad- Adamic heads, like, like, yeah. our, 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 you know, like, like Adam and Eve. And so Israel is another form of that. Israel is the holy nation that God is using to reflect his glory to all the nations. So them understanding the Lord our God is one, that is the, that is the nation of Israel to reflect and glorify that and pronounce that to all the world. Yeah. God is going to reveal himself to us so that the world can, be, yeah. Could, can know him. Yeah, and we're taking an absolutely different angle on here than we do in the 10-minute video, which we'd encourage you to, encourage you to watch. But what you're going to see here is you're going to see the same themes mm-hmm. brought throughout this. I mean, one, again, like God's transcendent, transcendent, and we're going to struggle to fully capture who he is. But we're also going to see that there are these truths about God. And once we understand who God is, we understand very clearly how we relate back mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. But we have to establish his character and his nature for us to know how to respond. Exactly. So it's essential. It's essential not to have this idea about yourself that doesn't relate to God. If you go on our website, and, and this, this quote's really there more just because I like it. We didn't really spend a lot of time thinking about it. But, you know, one of one of the quotes that has been attributed to many people, but um, that I love is a quote by A.W. Tozer. Again, it's probably by somebody else, but I've heard Tozer write about it. And he says, the most important thing about somebody is their answer to who do they think God is. Mm. That answer establishes everything else because, again, we see ourselves as a reflection of, of God. Yes. And if we have a b- broken picture of who God is, yeah. it'll really break down even more. It'll have a compounding effect in our in how we relate to God. Yeah. So if I if my understanding of God and foundation of who God is and how he works is broken, that's going to compound in my life and in my understanding. And I'll, I've seen people walk away from the faith because they actually had a broken view of who God is. Mm-hmm. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. If God is not created, for his glory, but he's created for my glory, well, then if he's not meeting my glory and what I need, then he's no longer a good God. Yeah. So So before, uh, we, before we jump into the New Testament, just to kind of give you, again, a, a general overview of the God of the Old Testament that we see is that God is one God who desires the worship of all people, um, who submits a law to them that this is what it looks like to live under a covenant relationship mm-hmm. with God and to sit in his blessings. He's established this because he's their creator, so therefore he has the right to establish this relationship with them. Um, and he's very clear that he desires their entire worship. And God has ruthlessly pursued his people 
yeah. in the Old Testament, through the New Testament, or f- through the Old Testament law, through the prophets, through all, through you know, um, conquering other gods and other people who worship other gods, and his people have continuously been unfaithful to him for him to ultimately make it right now as we head to the New Testament. Yeah, and so so maybe you're somebody that you've started to peruse with the Old Testament, and you've the last thing I want to say before we move to the New Testament, which is a continuation of these truths. They don't mm-hmm. change. Right. But what we see in the Old Testament is you'll see these different titles for God. You know, you may see like El Shaddai, Elohim, you know, all these different things. And, and really, you know, these are not um, different gods, mm-hmm. but they're descriptor. They're descriptors for the true nature of who God is. But really, they all come back under this idea that there's one true God that's provider of right. all these things. Right. It's like how we say God is Redeemer, God is yeah. Lord, God is Alpha and Omega, God is... Be- you know, see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Is, is we, 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 we also use vernacular that's alike yeah. that. Like, we use different characteristics to God is peace, God is yeah. joy, you know what I mean? And I hope so, I didn't throw you off of that. The only no. reason I'm sharing that with you is because I think it's important to know that, again, one God... One God in a world where that's not the normal thing. Mm -hmm. So if they're establishing a a religion that's just not based off of, you know, fact or real events, they're they're not going to borrow, like nobody would buy into this idea that there can be one one God over all these things. But yet this is what what Israel stands on. This is the truth of the Bible. So we continue on through the New Testament and we begin to start to, um, God begins to reveal to us, is probably a better way to say it, his triune nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the first places we really see this, and we do talk about this in the video, this is the one passage that we actually share between the video and mm-hmm. this discussion. Uh, we referenced the Shema briefly, but in here, this is the one that we really focus on. Um, this is Jesus's baptism narrative. And um, why I love this passage um, is that this helps us really understand um, just how um, it's it's like one of the earlier introductions to the three persons of the Trinity. Yep. And then the New Testament, this is kind of accepted as we go on through there. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read this, and then, Luke, I'm going to ask you, just point out the persons of the Trinity as they're related in Matthew chapter 3, um, verse 16 through 18, I believe is what we're looking at. Or just 18, 16 and 17. Yeah. yeah, 16 and 17. So it says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, so we, we, we see here really quickly that obviously we have the Son, the Son of God, and Jesus was baptized. Now, really quickly, I want to talk about Jesus very, very quickly. Jesus, we understand, is man and God. So let's just to set us up well for thinking about God, like we said in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Son of Man, right, that, 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 that is Jesus, Jesus in flesh and the Son of God, the Son of God has, has existed for all of time. Jesus in flesh has only existed for his earthly ministry. Um, so one and the same, not trying to make, be confusing, but like this is who we're talking about, the Son of God. Uh, Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove. So now we, we are introduced to the Spirit of God. So now we have the Son of God, the Spirit of God, and um, it says here, this is, my, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's the Father coming into the clouds. And so um, there, were, there were people who are seeing this and understanding God really as three in one for the first time. 
because the Jesus' baptism, all of three of the Godheads are present. Often in the Old Testament, you would see a f- one of the Godhead present, or you know, you might see you know anthropomorphic language in the Old Testament. You know, kind of a, a Bible character describing God with like kind of human forms. I saw mm-hmm. the back of God, we might say, yeah. or I wrestled with God. Here we're seeing the three distinct forms yeah. all in the same scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is which is super powerful. Yeah. So so again in this passage as you said Luke the first thing we're introduced to is Jesus, you know, he's the character in which he was being baptized. We then see the spirit descending like a dove as this, as it as it describes and then it's God, you know, prescribing to his son whom he says, in whom I'm well pleased. Um, and again, this is the, the nature that the Trinity is distri- described as existing in for all you know, of creation. I, I love, again, I'm going to pull another passage out because I don't want to just draw from this example. But this is in John. I mean, mm-hmm. this is Jesus speaking. And this is John chapter 14, verse 25 through 27. Can I give you a theological curveball before we move on? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> he said, yeah, I <laughs> guess. Why, can you help me understand... Uh, and helping whoever's listening to understand why is it important that the spirit falls upon the son? Well, let's look at this next passage. And that, you think that'll tell because us? Okay, I think, right. I think it'll give us some answers. Okay, so, so okay, so this is this is John chapter twenty-five. Just check this out, and hopefully this will help answer John fourteen twenty-five. Yeah, sorry, 27. John fourteen. Yeah, I guess you don't have it in front of you, so it's important that we tell you the right one. So, <laughs> John chapter fourteen, verse twenty-five through twenty-seven, and it says this: It says, "These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you." This is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, he says, "But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father." will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance um, all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Mm. So I think what, you, what you're asking here, Luke, is why is the Spirit referenced um, to the Son in this way. Mm-hmm. And I think what we see in this passage, is, as Jesus describes it, and we see it later um, throughout the New Testament, is that the Spirit is a witness to the ministry of the Son. Mm-hmm. Um, this seems to be a consistent theme throughout the Bible, that the Spirit is witnessing to God, but really the work of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's actually, as, as Jesus describes this, this is not only in John, this is found in Luke chapter 24, but Jesus describes the work of the Spirit as even helping us understand mm. the truths of Scripture. Again, which is another way to say to witness to the work of the Son. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the Spirit the Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. And I think we see two different moves often within the Christian faith. We see some people that minimize mm-hmm. the work of the Spirit. Um, they minimize it in multiple ways. You know, some of them, they may just minimize it to like God's movements and motives and <laughs> special interactions mm-hmm. like it's like god doing something but not really a person yeah. but the other thing we see is that people um elevate it to a position of almost a genie in their life yes but when we really understand the clear work of the spirit it's um to testify to the work of christ mm-hmm. and secondly um, when we see the Spirit outworking through our life, as it's described in Second Corinthians and other places, it's described as for the purpose of the building up of the church. That's right. So there's two real purposes around that that are really helpful. But but I, again, um, one thing that often is discussed um, amongst Bible scholars as it relates to the Trinity is um, this word Trinity, 
this description of God being three in one, this triune nature, is not a word that's actually found in the Bible, but in it's actually a system in which that captures the biblical truth. Right. Um, so what we see again is we see this, you know, we have to reconcile this experience in Jesus's baptism. We have to look at the way that Jesus talks about his relationship with God. Hmm. And then we have to learn, look at the instructions that the church has given for the way that they relate. And we go, okay, God must be three in nature. There's these three distinct persons that are described hmm. throughout the Bible that we look at through the lens of the New Testament as we read the Old Testament and we see their presence, you know, as we're instructed through John in this case. Mm-hmm. We see them instructed through Jesus and we see the way that the New Testament authors, that it's really giving us clarity into God's nature yeah. um, and how God works, that there's this um, beautiful, intense community right. amongst God that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and 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 I hate to go back to Genesis chapter 1, but that that community and the love that you've talked about, go back and look at uh, our recent podcast. We did a two-part series over the Holy over, over the Trinity, and you should totally check it out. But uh, God creates out of the love he has within one another. They, they are transferring that to the created. So if we're going to, uh, quickly, I'm going to do the same exercise I did with the last passage with this John 14, 25 to 27 passage. So we have the old, uh, creation of man. Then you have all the covenant heads, Adam, you know, Noah, Moses, Abraham. You have div- different order, but, yeah, but all Davidic, there. <laughs> you have the Davidic covenant. You have yeah. Israel being kind of like the, you know, the peak of that as a holy nation chosen for God. Okay, so you have all of this. Now you come, here comes the new covenant, which is Jesus Christ, the culmination, all the things that w- were happening that weren't couldn't be in full because of human, human agents, not the Messiah. Well, the Messiah comes, and there's this upper room discourse where Jesus is dining with the 12, soon to be 11, and this is the last time he's going to be with them. He's telling him, then my hour is coming where I must depart and go back to be with the Father. And But what, what he says here in verse 26 is so in, important to the redemptive historical point of scripture. So now, up until now, Jesus has been the culmination of all the people that God has commissioned and brought. Now the Holy Spirit is going to come. And on the back of Christ, on the cross, when he dies and rises again and then ascends up to heaven, is the kingdom of God coming through the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so it used to be Israel. It used to be through David and Adam. And now it's the Jesus Christ. And he says later on in, in chapter 16, he says that um, the, the Holy Spirit is coming to, bring all, to, to bear witness to me and bring about the kingdom of God. And so we have this culmination of it was through all those people, and now it's through the people, his church, because the believers of God have the Holy Spirit in them after yeah. Christ. Yeah, and so so I want to build off that again, because our, what we're trying to show you here is that there is an entire interweaving narrative of Scripture um, that helps us understand the character of God, that God is something that we can understand better. And again, he's establishing himself as creator. He's establishing his himself as his relationship with the people of Israel. He's telling us about his oneness, that he's the only God that should be worshipped. We then get a look inside look into his character as we see Jesus come to this earth and the death of the cross. We then see, you know, the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us. And then we're given these instructions. As Luke said, this is at the very end of Matthew's gospel. This is what's known as called the Great Commission. Probably one of the more important messages for us to understand as Christians. Mm-hmm. So this is Matthew chapter 
chapter 28. This is verse 18 through 20, and it says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, given to him by the Father. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. That's the reference that he's making. And he says, Go, th- go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. teaching them to observe all that I've commanded with, commanded you, and behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. So we have a beautiful picture here of not just the Trinity again, but we understand Jesus' commissioning to the earth by the Father and then to send the Son, or sorry, yeah. then to send the Spirit. So God is intentionally working in history, in his people, to reveal to us how he works and how he loves us and how he is committed to his people being the church. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven was given to him. And Jesus is known as the image of the invisible God. That Jesus, how he acts, he says, if you want to know the Father, you'll know me. Mm-hmm. And so now... All of that is culminating in the fact that the Holy Spirit is coming to live inside of us as his church, reflecting back the glory of God. Yeah, and and again, you've probably heard this passage a million times, so I want you to really sit here with us for a moment. Um, There is a clear instruction here to baptize people, but there's a deeper instruction that we often miss when we just see this as the instruction from Jesus as our defense to say, why do we still do these ritual baths in our church on Sunday morning? Mm. Um, The deeper instruction here is, again, we're being welcomed into this immersive relationship with the triune God, as Luke described earlier, this beautiful relationship that God creates out of. We are being invited to baptize people in that. Baptism is a word that's really based off of immersion is what it's saying. So it's not only saying like, hey, Go out and dunk people once who believe in the work of what Jesus has done. It, what it's really saying is we are discipling people into this immersive relationship with the triune God, mm-hmm. that we are welcoming people into a deeper relationship with the God of the universe. So go out into the world and welcome people into this relationship. Not in a one-time decision where they pray and they do this, keep saying ritual bath, and I'm not trying to make light of it, but it is symbolic of this beautiful life we're we're welcoming people Mm -hmm. into. But again, if we don't understand the nature of God as being something that exists in um, eternal, holy community, that Jesus is calling us to welcome people into that community— with the triune God, mm-hmm. then we stop short and we just make it, you know, instruction that yeah. Jesus has given us to do. So from here, we're given this incredible, um, not only instruction, but reminder that the rest of our lives looks like sitting before the God of the universe, the triune God, in growing in knowledge and getting to know him more yes. as we welcome other people to do the same. Yes, we must deeply desire the God who is creator, the God who is sender of the Son, and the God who is sender of the Spirit, so that we may live in union and communion with our Father once again. Because the brokenness of Genesis chapter 3 and sin, since then God has been redeeming his people back to a relationship with him. And because he does that, it shows us how good that God is and how worthy of, 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 of praise that God is. All right. So again, I want to leave us with one more before we get off here. Because again, we've looked at Genesis. We've looked at Matthew twice. We've looked at Luke's gospel. Um, we've looked at John. 
in, in these passages, again, that I think help us understand. And again, I could pick hundreds of these passages, but I'm just trying to give us a thread that captures both Old Testament narrative, um, Old Testament law, New Testament narrative, New Testament instruction. And now I want to look at Paul's letter because I want to look at how the early church understood their relationship to be with God. And this is in 2 Corinthians. This is actually Paul's final words um, to this letter. And we'll probably leave you with these words here. But Paul says, um, this is uh, chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. And this is how he closes his letter out. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. I mean, ultimately, what are the most important things that somebody says? It's probably the thing they say at the beginning and the thing that they say at the end. And, and what Paul's instructions to the church are, the same instructions that sit before us today, um, that we have the opportunity for the rest of our lives on this earth to grow in our knowledge of the God of the universe is. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to quote, I'm going to do the best I can to give a quote, but um Derek Allen, who's the children's pastor who works at the church with us, loves this Christian rap group, and I'm super not a rap fan. Mm-hmm. Definitely not a Christian rap right. fan. Yes. <laughs> so it's a double double whammy for mm-hmm. me. But in one of their songs, um, they say, if you, want to, if you want to grow your faith, grow the object of your faith. Mm-hmm. What they're implying is, and this is what we're really welcoming you into in this foundation, is that the Bible helps give us instruction about who God is. So if you want to grow your faith in God, learn more about who he is. Um, One of the beautiful things I want to give kudos to Luke for is I've been watching him for the past year go through this Delight in the Trinity book Mm -hmm. um, with different people. And I'm watching people come to a deeper understanding of who God is, which greatly affects the way that they relate to him. Mm -hmm. If you've got questions about God, seek the answers. Um, And so really that's our hope in this foundation is that we're trying to establish for you um, a, a deeper understanding of who the who the God of the Bible is, but knowing that God is transcendent and we're never going to fully capture him. Second Corinthians 3, verse 14. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the Conversation with Christians podcast. Thanks for tuning in.